All right. Well, usually we have been in the pattern of doing scripture reading by inviting one special person from our congregation to come to the front and lead us in a scripture reading for that morning. But for the next eight weeks, as we begin this new study in the book of James, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, And the reason is this. The book of James, which I'm going to introduce in just a moment for the next eight weeks of our study, was a book specifically written to be read aloud in the church. And so what we're going to do, what I'm going to encourage you to do is over the next two months, so we'll finish up our little eight-week series in James chapter 1 at the end of February. Um, I'm going to challenge us as a church to try to memorize this chapter one of James because it was written in a way that was memorizable for the early Christians. And many Christians devoted themselves to the memory of scripture. It's a great spiritual practice for us to learn as Christians today. Um, So what we're gonna do for our scripture reading today is I'm gonna invite you all to read it aloud with me together. And so it'll be on the screen uh, or also you can read it from up front in your up, up, up close and personal with the uh, insert in your bulletin. But let's read James 1, 1 to 4, aloud together. And this will be our spiritual act of worship of reading God's word together. So hear the word of the Lord. Let's read together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of James. and Thank you for this church. Lord, we, we want your truth, as we just sang, to be planted deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. That's what we just sang. And that's what we want to happen today. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, trusting uh, that you will hear our prayer. Amen. So we are starting in James. Today is the first in this new series. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, you've, you haven't missed anything because we're starting a new series today. And this will last eight Sundays. And we're going to do just James chapter 1. And as you know, there's more than one chapter to the book of James. So you may ask, why aren't we doing the whole book? Well, for a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, and the primary reason, is that the book of James, in particular chapter 1, is a table of contents to the rest of the book. So if you read chapter 1, you get the whole message of the book in short snippets. And then chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 just go deeper into those themes. And so this will allow us to go through a good bit of the themes of the book of James in a short period of time, so that then at the end of February, we'll transition to a new series for Lent as we prepare for the coming of Easter. Um, But also, the book of James, uh, like I said earlier, was written in a way that is memorizable. And so by just focusing on this first chapter, we can actually achieve Uh, something really profound in our own spiritual life, which is the ability to recall scriptures when things happen in our life that are uncertain. 
And so we are in year, going on year three of the COVID pandemic. And I know it's increasingly frustrating that things are continually uncertain. And so uncertainty has become a word that many of us can become uh, familiar with, and it's become deep and part of our everyday life now. And so the, the title of this series is, it's New Year Reflections, but the subtitle is What to Do When Blank Comes. And we're going to fill in that blank each week with a new word um, and reflect on it, because that's what we do when a new year comes. We pause and we reflect on life and what is going on. And so the book of James, particularly, you may wonder why I'm, I'm focusing on this idea of reflection or the mirror, as the picture shows. The book of James, particularly at the end of chapter one, talks about a mirror. Uh, in verse 24, verses 23 and 24 of chapter one, and we'll get to this specifically in a few weeks, but it says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. We're challenged in this book to not be like the person who looks at their face in a mirror and immediately forgets what they look like. And so each week we'll look at a different theme and the hope is that we don't forget it, that it goes deep into us. And that's where the scripture memory part comes in. So this morning, what we're going to be looking at is verses one to four, the opening of the book, which we just read. And to fill in the blank this week, what to do when trials come. Trials, or as it says here in the passage, trials of various kinds. And friends, we can relate with that. All of us are experiencing a trial through the COVID pandemic together. But then within that, each of us uniquely and individually are going through our own trials. Maybe they're related to that. Maybe they're unrelated. But we we all have trials that we're going through. And, and the encouragement, the baffling encouragement right at the very beginning is he gives, he gives the answer to the question. He says, whenever you're going through trials, and this is absurd, I think, but we're going to try to figure this out together. He says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Isn't that the worst piece of advice to give someone when you're going through something hard? Just count it all joy, my friend. Have joy, even though you're going through something really difficult. But this is what the hope of the gospel can do for a person, is that this statement, count it all joy, can actually be received with genuineness and real substance. And that's what we're going to try to unpack together this morning, is how can we have joy when trials come our ways? So just yesterday, my youngest daughter, uh, as she was going to bed last night, I was tucking her into bed and she said to me, Daddy, I had a tough day today. And she was like kind of pouting, I had a tough day today. And then she started listing these things and I, I went and wrote them down. She said, I bumped my cheek today. I'm really tired. I slipped once. And I didn't do everything right at my, at my ballet class. And then she finished with this one. She says, I'm not the perfect one in our family. She said, I had a tough day today. And then she threw her head under the covers and pulled the covers over her, her head. But here's the funny thing. 
And so I, I tried to encourage her through that and settle her down. But the funny thing is, Sarah told me just an hour or two before when she was finishing bath time, she got out of the bath and she said, Mommy, I had a great day today. And she recounted all the great things that we did, which we had a really fun day yesterday as a family. It was a Saturday. She had ballet lessons in the morning, which was the first time she's ever done that. She's been asking to do that for a long time. We went sledding yesterday, which was awesome. We we went out and got hot chocolate as a family. We watched a movie that we had a, a pretty great day. And yet, don't you see how even in a, in a little person, how you can experience both the, I had a great day and I had a tough day in pretty close proximity to each other. And that's the experience many of us feel is just this, the, tops and, the topsy-turvy part of life. And so as we look this morning to understand trials and how to have joy, uh, I'm going to just open up with this big idea. What the Bible says to us is that what none of us want to go through trials. None of us want to go through trials, but what none of us want to go through is actually life's most surprising path to where all of us want to arrive, which is at joy. That the Bible actually teaches us that through the hard things, through trials, through the things that none of us want to go through, that's actually the surprising path that God takes us on so that we can find true, lasting joy. Because all of us experience trials. And God is asking us to trust in him that actually at the end of these trials is a deeper joy than you ever would have arrived at had you skirted around the trial. So what to do when you're experiencing trials of many kinds? Let's just go through this bit by bit in this passage. So I encourage you, if you have the the uh, bulletin insert to take a look at these verses as we go through them, because we'll be just contained to these four verses. Number one, the encouragement is to look to Jesus, who is the author of real joy. You see here that James 1 is written by James, who, by the way, is the brother of Jesus, the real blood brother of Jesus. And he calls himself here, not a brother of Jesus in the, in the title, in the intro, Though we know from history that he is his brother, he chooses instead to call himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is literally his blood brother, and yet he's referring to him here as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes who Jesus is, and he's writing here to the 12 tribes who are dispersed throughout the Mediterranean Empire. And he says, before anything else, count it all joy. And I think there's a link there between the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and count it all joy. He's saying, if Jesus is the Lord, then you can find joy in anything if you're trusting in him. So when he says count it all joy, where it says count it all, that just means consider it or think about it or regard it, meaning that even when you don't feel like something can bring you joy, or even when it isn't joy in the world's eyes, joy can still be found even at the trials we're going to look at in just a moment. And so whenever you're going through a trial, I think the first thing each of us can try to do is just do this little quick exercise, which is take a moment to recognize that a trial is happening. Maybe even write it down and say, this is what I recognize is happening in my life. Take a moment to reflect on it realize that it's happening, maybe tell it to another person, 
and then pray. Count it all joy. So when he says count it, I mean, think about it. You literally count things in your life. When you see trials building up in your life, count them. Acknowledge them. See them. Face them. Write them down. Tell them to somebody. And that's maybe the first step to go through. In Christ, a trial can be a real joy giver. And we'll unpack this as the, as the sermon goes on. But let's just pause for a moment on this idea of joy. What even is joy? Maybe some of us have, have lost even the conception of what true and lasting joy is. Or the hope of joy. I mean, it hasn't been that long. It's only been a couple of weeks since we sang the song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. But joy, is, joy can be hard to come by in our world. What is it? Real joy is deep and unshakable, meaning that nothing can touch it. It's given to us from the foundation of the world. It's firm and true and unwavering. And the scriptures have a lot to say about joy. And I'll give you just a couple of things. Psalm 16, it says, Lord, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures forevermore. John 10, 10, Jesus came and he says, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. And then Hebrews 12 says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Talk about trials. Jesus endured the cross because there was a joy that was set before him that went through the cross. You see, joy is not mere happiness. Joy is not just a smile on your face when something bad has happened. Joy is not ignoring or, or ignoring rationality or ignoring emotions. You see, I, when it says count it all joy when you experience trials of many kinds, I think the last thing that that would be implying is that when you're going through something difficult, you need to smile. Joy does not equal smiling. Joy is deep. Joy is unshakable. Joy is waiting. Joy is a person. Joy is found in the presence of Jesus. One of the people I respect the most in this entire world is a person I've never met. And he's a person I've referenced in sermons for the better part of a year now. His name is Tim Keller. He's a pastor, a retired pastor at this point. He, he was a pastor at one point in New York City. But just, he's had an extraordinary ministry. He's had an impact on a lot of folks in life. But a couple of years ago, Tim Keller discovered he had pancreatic cancer, which is not a good form of cancer to get. It's one of the more dangerous and untreatable forms that you can get. And he was reflecting on this last week in a podcast I was listening to. And again, this is a guy that I think is, is as spiritually mature as anybody that I can see from the outside, not knowing them personally. Uh, but very wise, very biblical, very, he loves Jesus. He has the kingdom of God at the front of his life. And yet he even said, he said, I think inadvertently, or even just by accident, I had convinced myself that by following Jesus, it, like if, if I was really diligent to read my Bible, to pray, to go to church, to lead others to the Lord, then I could avoid some of the hard things in life. He said, but then I got pancreatic cancer. And he said, I realized that actually 
by trusting in Jesus, that doesn't allow me to skirt around any hard things. It just makes me realize that I'm way more needy and dependent on Jesus than even I can convince myself. He says trials are part of the Christian life. And the Christian life of trusting in Jesus is to help you go through those trials and to have joy through them and joy at the end of them. And what a good reminder for all of us, whether you're mature in faith or new in faith or struggling with faith or unsure about it all, Jesus is the same. The offer is the same. None of us can save ourselves and therefore we are all on the same ground. We can't skirt trials. Trials are part of life. And this is second point number two. Remember that trials are part of life. So it says here, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet trials of various kinds, when you meet trials of various kinds. And listen, I know maybe at this point in the sermon, you're like, okay, I, I know this, Stephen. I know that no, one's, no one has a perfect life. I think intellectually we understand that, but at our heart level, I think we're like Tim Keller where we can convince ourselves that if I do enough good or if I do this religious practice that maybe I can avoid some of the harder things. But no, friends, we all will go through trials. And so remember that when they come, remember that that's part of life. That's part of the broken world that we live in. What are, what are some ordinary reactions to trials? Maybe... What are the things that you've identified in your life that, that, you, that you typically run to when trials happen? When something bad happens, what do you do? I'll just list a few and maybe you can identify with them because I think I've done all these. <laughs> when something bad happens or when a trial comes, panic. I can't believe this is happening. Fear, anger, sadness, Lose your trust in God or in trust in others. You could just ignore it, sweep it under the rug mentality. Or maybe this is the most dangerous one, the power of positive thinking. Oh, this is, this is really bad, but it's not that bad. Other people have it worse than I do. And so therefore I don't need to worry about it myself. The power of positive thinking is, is just an escape from it. It's almost like ignoring it. And so count it all joy is not the power of positive thinking. What trials are, trials are unavoidable because everybody experiences them. Trials are unexplainable because typically there's no rhyme or reason to them. Each of us experience trials of various kinds and they're, they experience each they encounter each of us differently. And frankly, they're unfair. What happens to you may be worse than what happens to me. And what happens to me may be at a worse time than when it happened to you. So there's no rhyme or reason necessarily for trials. They are various and numerous. They can be physical calamities. They can be loss of loved ones. They can be an emotional catastrophe. They could be psychiatric. They could be mental health. That's the one that I see more and more among young people today. And even in myself is this, this pain of mental health struggles, anxiety, depression. These are trials of various kinds. And yet verse three says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, you see, that's a synonym for trials. What is a trial? A trial is a test of your faith. 
a test is meant to prove the genuineness of something. So Sarah mentioned spelling test in the children's moment. That's a test of my six-year-old's ability to spell words. And each of us have gone through tests, maybe in school or other more nuanced tests in life. Things that are meant to try to prove something. How will you react if this comes? That's what a trial is. So think about the gold process. How, does, how is gold refined? This is a, an image that the Bible loves to use. Gold is refined by testing it and putting it through fire. And so I, I read this explanation of the gold process. This is just a, a bit by bit take of it. And I let, let this apply to you in a metaphorical way to the trials that you go through or the fire that you encounter. Refining with flame is one of the oldest methods of refining metals mentioned even in the Bible. Refining by fire is the preferable method for larger quantities of gold. In ancient times, this form of refining involved the craftsmen sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. With flames reaching temperatures in excess of 1,000 degrees Celsius, this job was definitely a dangerous occupation for the gold refiner. The tradition remains largely untouched today with the exception of a few advancements in safety and precision. You see, if you want to, if you want to make gold pure, if you want to take gold that's been uh, musty or has spots in it, and if you want to make it, if you want to make it shiny again to where you can actually see the reflection in your face again, you put it through fire because it removes the impurities. Now listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. He says, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So therefore, if gold, something that each of us count as precious and beautiful and significant, can be tested by fire, then maybe the fires and the trials that you and I face today are actually a grace to us. And this is where the quote from Charles Spurgeon on the front of your bulletin comes ringing true to me. Spurgeon, this old pastor who's long since passed, has said this. He says, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand We must trust his heart. Oftentimes when the trial comes, we can't see where his hand is. We can't see where his guiding is because we're experiencing the trial. But we can trust his heart that he is good, that he is kind, that he is wise, that he is not mistaken. That whatever trial he is leading us into is testing us to refine us, to make us more pure than we ever could have been before. And therefore that's grace. And this is something all the whole world experiences. Everybody in the world experiences trials. And that's the common grace of God to give us trials to refine us. Even if we don't know him, he still puts us through trials to refine us, to make us stronger, to make us more independent on him. But if we are a Christian, then it's an even deeper refining grace to help us lean on the presence of Jesus, to make us purer than we ever could have been before, to make us increasingly shiny, to use the reflection image, whittling away the scruffs and the scars so that we can reflect well and most beautifully 
the creator whom we love and who has redeemed us. And this gets into the third point, trusting that these trials are actually producing something greater in us than we ever could have before. So verse three says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Our heart can only become steadfast through trials. How else would we learn to be persevering, to be steadfast, to remain in Christ, to continue, to not give up, to abide in him? The only way is through trials. To be steadfast is to wait, to endure those hardships. Tim Tebow is an NFL quarterback, well, former NFL quarterback. He's not playing anymore. But just yesterday, he posted on his social media account, he was reflecting on, I think it was the anniversary of his greatest NFL moment, which was several years ago. He was playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos in a playoff game, and the game went to overtime. They were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And as overtime goes, the first team that scores a touchdown wins. The game's over at that moment. And he threw a pass to a guy about 10 yards down the field who made one cut and ran all the way for a touchdown. And they scored and the game was over and they won the game. And that was his greatest NFL moment. The year, the next year, his career kind of went the other direction and he ended up not being in the NFL anymore. And now he's doing different things. But he was recounting on his social media account yesterday how fortunate he's been to have success in sports. He was a very successful college quarterback, very successful NFL quarterback for a short time. But he says, he said, as special as the highs are, I don't think you learn as much as you do from the lows. I can say now that fortunately I've had lows. Fortunately, he says, how can you say fortunately? Because I've learned so much through them. He's like, and I really think there's been much more done in my life in the lows than there were in the highs. The lows have helped me to learn, to grow, to strengthen faith. And it's changed my perspective. I would encourage anyone out there that is trying to balance the perspective between the highs and lows in life, that both can be great, both can be used in your life. One of them is more enjoyable, the highs, but the other one can be very valuable. And as much as we want to get rid of the bad times, maybe that's easier, but it can also be so valuable in your life. In those low moments, I encourage you, in those moments of disappointment, find the silver lining. Find what you can do better. Find what you can learn and find the perspective in it. So is the goal of our life then to find more comfort, to find more ways to avoid trials, or actually is our goal in life something else? And what I would say to you is that the scriptures are saying here that actually One way to frame your goal and purpose in life is to be a person who, as verse 4 says, a person who lets steadfastness have its full effect. Maybe that's a goal for us for 2022, that each of us, and as a church, we can be defined as people who allow steadfastness to have its full effect. To be so patient within trials, to be so patient in our persevering, that actually the full measure of perseverance so wells up into us that as the end of this verse says, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember when I said that joy in trials was a little ridiculous at the beginning? 
How about this being a little ridiculous? The fact that he says you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's only possible through trials that produce steadfastness, that encourage you to let it have its full effect, to wait it out. Have hope that these trials are not the ultimate end of life. Whatever trial you're experiencing now or you have gone through, it's not the end. Joy is there in the middle of it. And then perfection and completeness is waiting for you in Christ at the end of it. Trials are not just about you, but trials are actually about all of us together, about those who are around us. You see, the book of James is a, is a book for the whole church. A letter written for those who are going through trials of various kinds together. And so why do we gather even in small numbers because of COVID and because of winter? For those of you joining us online, you are part of this. We come together because we're all going through trials of various kinds. And we encourage one another. That's part of how we let steadfastness have its full effect. We go through them with others and for others. You see, what none of us want to go through, trials, is actually the surprising path God puts us on to arrive at where we've always wanted to go. A life of joy. A life of fullness. A life of completeness. You can't find that without the trials of life. And guess what? The one who hung on the cross shows us that that's possible. Jesus went through the ultimate trial. And that's why the book of Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the author and pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Fullness, joy, completeness. What to do when trials come? Look to Jesus, the author of joy. Remember that trials are a part of life. Trust that these trials are producing something greater. Have hope that these trials are not the ultimate end and do it together. Friends, this is why we come together. And so as we opened the, the uh, sermon time by reading James 1, 1 to 4 together, what I'm gonna encourage us to do as we finish is to read one more scripture aloud together. And maybe this is one you know a little bit more familiarly. It's going to be on the screen, or maybe you know it just from heart. The scripture we're going to read together as we finish is Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 is a beautiful passage that shows us the role of trials in our life and what to do when we encounter trials of many kinds. So... I'm going to ask you to stand, if you can, for this as we read Psalm 23. And then just remain standing because we're going to transition right in to singing our final song together. But Psalm 23, it's on the screen. Uh, this is in the ESV version. If you want to recite it in your way, that's fine. But we'll do it together. So let's listen to one another as we recite this beautiful psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Javier is going to lead us in singing our final song.